This is the last Sunday in our fall series that we're doing on uh, stories from the Old Testament, which are before Jesus was born on the earth, but that point to Jesus. Next week is the first Sunday in Advent, and Advent is the season of preparing for uh, Jesus' coming. And we do that in one sense to prepare to celebrate how he came the first time and get ready for that, but it's also that we're preparing that he's coming again and that we want to be ready and we want to even hasten the day that he comes back and makes everything right and work as it should be. So we'll start that new series uh, along with that season next Sunday. So in this, this story... Uh, Daniel has been elevated. At first, he's elevated on par with a few other folks, but then he gets elevated above them so that he's in charge of the world power. Persia's the world power at the time, and he is basically, other than one person, the most powerful person in the whole thing. And so the, the other advisors that want to take him down, what they, you know, it seems like, oh, you just... This king is just into himself and wants people to pray, but probably it was something like, hey, you are in charge of so many people groups that have so many different idols, and we need to make sure that they stay loyal to you. So let's say, you know, go ahead, you can have your other, but you are the one who's the most important. So this will be a way to keep you in power, to keep your different groups kind of organized. It felt like a good political strategy. And so he makes the, he issues the decree, and it's quite something to me that uh, Daniel's weakness would be that he is praised to God too much, that he's loyal to God, that he's willing to worship God and serve God. And I think like, man, that we would be like that. Like that's our, our biggest weakness. We just are so devoted to God. That would be something. So Daniel uh, knows he's aware of this law, and let's read from the Bible how it describes his response. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he went down on his knee, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went and, as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God, for help. So one of the things that strikes me about this is it's just as he had done before. Daniel had a life of prayer. He was praying three times a day. He, this was not, okay, things got hard and things got crisis, because in one sense, this is a test of his faith. But in another sense, what he's aware of is there are people who want to take him out. You know, even if he decides not to pray, there are people who want to take him out. And they are well-connected. And they are in a group. And they know that the king is not worshiping the God of Israel like Daniel is. And so he knows that. But he has already been prepared for this moment because he has a life of prayer already going on. And part of what I want to do this morning is to compare Daniel's life of prayer with Jesus' life of prayer. So Jesus, uh, in Luke 11, one, one thing just to point out about Jesus is that he probably would have prayed three times a day as well. This is just part of what 
the people of Israel who were following God would do. They would pray morning, noon, and evening. They would all do that. There would be a, a time of prayer. So in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. To, his disciples. So Jesus finds a certain place to pray. He's got a place. There are times when he prays. There are days of the weeks when he goes to a different place to pray. There are times of the year when they go a different place to worship and pray. But there is a rhythm, a routine. They, their lives are revolved around this sense of prayer and worship and how do we keep our focus on God and how do we bring back the stories to remember what he's done. That's, that's why we have Advent, by the way, and Lent and Easter. There's ways that we are rehearsing what has God done. In this story of God, let's make sure we keep bringing some of these main themes of the story back before us. So that's what Jesus would do. Now, in, let's see here, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it talks about how Jesus, after a huge day of ministry, he gets up while it's still dark, very in the morning while it's still dark, and he goes and finds a place to pray. After he has just poured himself out, he finds a place to pray, and actually, as Luke talks about, this is something that he did a lot. So he would have his three times of prayer, but he also just found places to get alone, to be connected with God, to talk with God, to listen to God, to reflect on God. So that would be one thing. Now, back to the Daniel story. So this is not Daniel's, like King Darius is not the first king that Daniel has served. It's at least... The third, probably more. He probably served four, or at least had different kingdoms. So the first time, as he was a prisoner of war, but he showed himself to be exemplary. And so the first king he served was King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And at a certain point, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that disturbs him, that bothers him. Now, we have dreams that disturb us, but dreams in that day, they took way more seriously it was part of like national policy dreams could be. They had archives of what the dreams were and people who would interpret the dreams, they had a sense that the spirit realm and what's happening here, they're interconnected and, and dreams were part of that. So he has a dream, he is, he's nervous, he's frustrated, he's really upset. And so he calls together the wise men. Now these would be the main advisors to him, but they also would be dream interpreters. And he says, you know what, I've had this dream and it so bugs me that what I, I want is if you don't interpret this dream for me, we are going to execute all of you. And they said, no problem. We can do it. We're, we're, we, we can do it. He said, okay, just tell us the dream. No. Because if I tell you the dream, you might just make something up. But if you tell me the dream, then I know that you really have the right interpretation. Well, they can't do it. There's a panic. The guards are summoned. They're all going to start getting arrested and then be executed the next day. And when the head guard gets to Daniel, it says he responded with wisdom and tact. And he asked him, like, tell me, Warren, what's going on? And when the guy tells him what's going on, he says, I'll interpret the dream tomorrow. Go back, tell the king, I'll interpret the dream tomorrow. Okay? Then he hightails it to his friends who are also followers of God. And he says, you've got to pray. You've got to pray, plead for mercy from God that he would show me what this dream is. And then as he's praying, as he's seeking God, he gets the answer. 
And after he gets the answer, he decides to praise the God of heaven. Here's verse 20. Here's what he said. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Now, in the midst of, this is, this is like um, inspired by evil. This whole idea that we're going to kill all the wise men because then we kill Daniel, then we kill these people. This is inspired by evil. And in the face of being inspired by evil, God reveals something that needs to be revealed. And then he ends up being glorified when the story ends. And people come to know him better. Now, Jesus sends out 72 people, and he says, when you go, proclaim the good news, heal the sick, cast out demons. Sends them out. They go and do it. They come back, and they're like, it happened. Like, demons cast them. People were healed. People, people believed. It's, it's great. And so in, Jesus says, like, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Like, in the face of evil, you went out, and now people know about me. And listen to his response. Here we go. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus is praising God. For revealing things. Things that are hidden to other people, but he reveals them. And when he reveals them, now evil gets pushed back. Now God's name gets known and praised. There's the similarity there. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylon kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures... According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Now he had been in Jerusalem when it got destroyed and taken over and he was taken as a prisoner of war. So now he's reading in the scriptures, in the Bible, there's a promise that after 70 years, people would come back and Jerusalem would start to be restored. So what's his response? So I turn to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he goes on to say, we have sinned. We have messed up. Your scriptures said, live like this. And if you don't, this will happen. And that is what's happened. We did not live like this. And this is what's happened. And we don't deserve anything, but he sees a promise. And instead of saying, well, God promised us, so, okay, cool. I just know it's going to happen. He says, okay. I am, I am, I, it's like, I know I need to be part of activating this. This promise is here for us, but I want to activate it. And so he, is, he isn't just like, God, this is your word, so God, make it happen. He is like, Please, have mercy. Do what you want to do. Please. He fasts. He is, it's, there's emotion in it. He is all in on, on asking God to do what God can do. Now, Jesus, talking about his prayer life in Hebrews chapter 5, 
verse 7, says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. He offered up prayers and petitions, same things we just read of Daniel, with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. There is something very similar about Daniel who has a prayer life and Jesus and his prayer life. One more example. Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotion at all until the three weeks were over. So Daniel's response to a revelation that was going to include some conflict is that he was going to pray and fast. He, was, he would eat something, but he wouldn't eat the good things. He just, it was, they, people call it a Daniel fast now, 21 days of, of not eating meat and, and um, sugars and things like that. Anyway, so he did that. And it goes on to explain, after 21 days, an angel shows up, like not just your average angel, like one of the big angels, Gabriel, shows up. And the angel describes what happened while, while Daniel was praying. He said, from the first time that you started praying, from that day... I was sent from heaven from that very first day, but I was battled. There was a battle that prevented me from coming to you right at that very first day. It was a principality demon that was preventing me from coming. And so then at some point, Michael, the archangel, who's a warrior angel, came and helped me. And now here I am. So he is describing what happens in prayer in the spirit realm. Sometimes, which is the answer is sent and God responds the moment and there is a war going on on whether it was going to come. And Daniel could have said after day one or day two like that, nothing. But he was just seeking after God and guess what? There was a breakthrough. God sent more help from heaven and boom, it happened. Now Jesus, in Matthew... He, uh, oh, I kind of have this. No, I better just read it. Jesus has just received revelation at this point of what I'm going to read. The Father has said, now he probably knew this, but this now it came and was confirmed in a dramatic fashion. The Father said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then a spirit descends like a dove. Like heaven opens up. All of this happens. There is a revelation. And what does Jesus do next? Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now there is a, a power thing going on between good and evil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And so Jesus, he, after revelation, getting ready to go live it out, he fasts for 40 days. He is praying, and there is a battle going on about whether who Jesus just was told he is and what he is going to do based on who he is is going to be lived out. And we're going to look in a little bit at the Mark version of this story, and we're going to see angels are part of it. Again, there is a connection. Angels, prayer, all of that is going on. So, it's all fine. 
It's all fine. But the question is, what does this have to do with you and me? Because it's easy to say, say uh, well, Daniel, yeah, he had a great prayer life. He's kind of like a superstar in the faith. So I don't know that I'm going to be like that. And Jesus is Jesus. He's like God, too. I know I'm not going to be Jesus. There's only one Jesus. So what does this have to do with us? Start with Jesus. Why did Jesus pray at all? If he was God, why does he pray at all? Doesn't seem like he really needs to. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human. And as a human, he said, I am going to demonstrate exactly how humanity is supposed to live, how a human being is supposed to live. I'm going to do it perfectly. And so what to know, he laid aside a lot of the things and the privileges he would have as God so that he could show us this is how you live as a human being. And how you live as a human being, what you need as a human being is to stay connected to God. That's what we need. I mean, he said in the, you know, at, at this four, he, he, four, one through three, I don't know if I read it or not, if I was one verse short, but he's, he says, you know, human beings don't live off food alone. I mean, that, we need food for our bodies, but we need his word, connection with him, staying connected with him for our souls or our souls starve. We need to be connected with him through prayer. This is part of what he's showing us. To live well. To live as we should be. To live as we were created to be. We need to be in connection with God. And prayer is one of the ways we are connected with God. And so when you get to Daniel, the superstar in the faith, the question is, is he, a, is he pray? And have a real great life of prayer because he's a superstar in the faith? Or is he a superstar in the faith because he has a life of prayer? And it's easy to think like, well, of course, Daniel, I mean, look at what God did. He raised him all the way up. Of course, it's easy for Daniel to trust God. That's not how my life looks. That's not how my life works. I don't get these visions and I don't. Well, let's see how Daniel's life started. As a teenager, probably. As a teenager, he sees the temple. This is the place where God's presence most dwells. This is the place that is what it's all about in terms of faith in God for them at that time. And he sees it wiped out. And he sees all kinds of people killed, including his family. And he's probably got his nose pierced to another guy's nose and walks miles and miles and miles to a place that he's never been to before, to a different language, to a different culture, where they walk past big, huge idols that are there to say, our gods are bigger than your gods, that's why you're here. Did Daniel have any reason to be like, I don't know that I'm going to go, I mean, I don't know if prayer's worth it. I mean, I... I'm sure he listened to Abraham and Isaac and Moses and all of them, but I don't know that he's going to listen to me. And yet, from the get-go, he kept making decisions 
to stay connected with God, to follow God, and became a life of prayer. He got raised up by Nebuchadnezzar to a high position, but by the time it got to one of his uh, sons on the throne, he was discarded. There's a story in here where they're like, we don't know what to do. Like, well, call Daniel. There's this guy, Daniel. He's not even in the mix anymore. But he was ready to speak the word of the Lord because he had stayed connected to the Lord. And we can do that. We can do that. We can try to create times and places where we bring our focus to God. We can, we can do it. It's possible. I want to mention a couple ways which might be helpful because for sometimes it's like, I don't know how to do it. Well, we, uh, a few of us are talking that we developed this curriculum called How to Pray and people would do it in groups. And um, we had over 100 people go through it at, at some one point when we had counted. But that, there's a lot of people who are here since then who've never done that. It's just... Well, I think you meet like five, five, maybe six times. And it just introduces different ways to pray. Now, I've been through it multiple times. And I, along with Camille and, and Aubrey Help, I was part of writing it. Um, and yet, going through it again still brought life because different people are bringing different things every time. And there are many people who feel, who have reported more confidence after doing that and about praying. Um, also, greater sense of community. So just if you are interested in how to read the Bible, how to pray, whether it's something you did a long time ago or something you've never done, could you do us a favor and let us know? Send us an email or, or there's a sign-up sheet out there. Because if we have people interested, we want to do these again in January. We're, we're talking about fresh things, new things that we're going to do next fall. But we may do some of these kinds of things uh, for those of you. Or maybe you're, you've been through it and you would, wouldn't mind helping uh, people do it. But we, we just don't want to know if there's interest. Anyway, that's one thing. Here's another thing. 24-7 prayer resources. So there's a 24-7 prayer organization. And you go to the website, and we've done multiple classes there um, that Camille has brought to us. Um, but the Lectio 365 app, usually about 10 to 12 minutes the morning, where you're going to get a psalm, you're going to get a scripture to reflect on that's read twice, you're going to be prompted in how you can pray for yourself, prompted how you can pray for others. And I, I do it most days. I used to do it uh, more often before I got out of bed until I lost my AirPods. Which, boy, I'm distracting myself thinking about AirPods. You know, just as an aside, when you lose something, when you lose something, it is what you think about. Like, where are my AirPods? You know, when you lose something of value, where are my AirPods? And like, when I lost my AirPods, I wasn't thinking like, well, yeah, at least I got my wallet, I got my... Keys, I mean, good, I'll just focus on what I have. I got bed. I mean, that's, I know where the bed is. You know, that's not, I'm like, where, where was I? Where, where could they have been? This is how God thinks of people who are not walking with him. That's what he thinks about. So you don't know what to pray. No, he's thinking about like, I love these people. I 
love this person that you know. And, and we can be in this together for me to go because I go find them because I, I care about what's lost. I care about these people. That is what's on his heart the most. I am getting off track. 24-7 USA. So 24-7 prayer was started in Europe and they have like 24-7 prayer in Australia and 24-7 prayer in USA. Last year, 24-7 USA invited communities to try this rhythm. In the morning, would you say the Lord's Prayer? At noon, would you set your alarm so that at noon every day you would pray for a few people that don't know Jesus or who aren't following Jesus right now? And at night, would you thank God? Morning, noon, night. And would you join with other people who are going to do that? That's a pretty good idea. I like the idea for me, listen to Lectio in the morning and, and maybe say the Lord's Prayer. Set my alarm, pray for certain people, including people who don't know them, know him or walking with him. Why? Because that's what God cares about most. He's, he is looking for people that are lost. And at night, the Lectio night app will have you think about your day. Where did I see God? Let's give him thanks. Where did I miss it? Let's ask him for forgiveness and let's leave all that behind and then with his words coming over us, head to bed. Those are some things to think about. And then one other thing to think about is we do have a prayer room right over off the cafe and we've got other rooms that you can go and pray and there's something about a certain place to pray. It doesn't need to be the place to pray. Pray all over the place. Pray anywhere. Pray anytime. But there's something about coming to a place to pray or scheduling a time to pray. Uh, this week, someone um, texted me while I was in the elder board meeting. I'm in the elder board meeting. And um, I didn't get it till after the elder board meeting. And it said, I'm in the prayer room now. See that you're meeting. Wondering if you had anything specific that you'd like prayer for. So I text back and I say, well, you know, thanks for praying. Sorry I didn't see this in time, um, but uh, I think I made a, but thanks for praying. But I think I made a sent back, you know, actually, as I think about it, in our elder board meeting, we had like multiple conversations that, the, that we were most into, that were most kind of alive, that weren't really the main parts of the agenda. So it's probably best that I didn't send you any prayer requests because I would have got it wrong. Like you were... You must have prayed like uh, for us to talk about new things. And they're like, well, hey, thanks for sharing. Because actually I was headed to the grocery store and just had a sense like I'm supposed to go pray. So I just drove over to the prayer room and prayed. Okay. And then it dawns on me. So part of, it's budget time, you know. Part of what we're doing is what money are we still giving away? We had a list of like, okay, are we going to give away money to these? And in the midst of that conversation, one of the elders said, um, what about, and he didn't even have the name, what about that other organization? You know, I, I think, even though that's not listed, I think we should be giving more money to them. And so it was just decided. You know, obviously they didn't come in with like a pre-like agenda it was just like decided that we'd give $3,000. We've already given $10,000 to this organization. We'd give another $3,000. The person who was praying works for that organization. 
So I go to, I thought, so I text, like, hey, guess what? You should come here and pray more. Your organization might get more money. No, I didn't say. Anyway, I, uh, I go in to shut off the lights in the prayer room after, before I'm going to leave, and I look, and I look on the schedule, and because we had filled up the thing where you write in if you report, I saw the person's name, and right above it, I saw the name of the elder who had said, like, should we be giving to, who had prayed right before the meeting in the room. Maybe those are all coincidences. What I find is the more we pray, the more coincidences. Now, going back to this Daniel 6 passage, just the verses 10 and 11. Now, Daniel, when, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God. Thanksgiving's every day for Daniel, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. The windows open. Daniel decides to pray, and he's not afraid. Or maybe he is afraid, but he does it anyway. And I'm just curious, are you afraid to pray? Like with people, for people, out loud? I mean, nobody's going to kill you. It's Thanksgiving week. It's Thanksgiving week. It is a great time to take a risk on prayer if you're gathering with other people. You know, my dad, my dad taught me a lot about praying. We said prayers. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let these gifts test. We, we said them. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And so, be present at our table, Lord. Be here and everywhere. Adore. These are merciful blessings grant that we may feast in paradise with thee. We, said, we prayed before every meal. We just prayed together. That was just what we did. Now, when we went out to eat, we didn't do that. But what I watched was that my dad always prayed silently in a way that people knew. And he did that whether we were with people who were like, of course, or people like, hmm. He always did it. My dad also made us pray as when company came over. Like we always said the normal prayers, but then as we got older, it was like, we just said the prayers, but then when somebody's over, like, hey, Andy, none of you can call me Andy. Andy, why don't you pray for us? Well, <clears throat> you don't just become comfortable praying in front of other people on your own and then do it. You like do it and you become more comfortable. So I've shared before at our house, whether people are over or not, it's just like, how many of us are there? Okay, seven, nine of us, okay. Number one through nine. Which one is it? Six, six, seven. Seven, you've got to pray. Whoever picks the numbers got to pray. It is awesome to watch people come over and like realize what's going on. And you can see it like, you, so with family members, big family members, 20 some people. One, two, three, four, three. Who's All right, who's going to pray? And you could just see the prep. Oh, man, they're just like, please not me, please not me. They're praying. It's like, <laughs> but what I've seen over time 
is that some of those same family members that looked terrified, and then it would get to be them, they have become more comfortable praying out loud. And sometimes they'll just offer to pray out loud. And, you know, what we do, you get done praying, this is great, you get done, so somebody's praying, and you could tell, like, okay, this is a stretch for them. They get done praying, and it always happens, and nobody, we don't agree that this happens, it's just what happens. They, they say, amen, we're, amen, everybody cheers. All right, it feels good to pray. So now Thanksgiving week, I remember going to my, we never went to Michigan. One year, my whole life, my dad's family's all in Michigan, all of them. And one year we went to, to Michigan at Thanksgiving. And he said, all right, we're going to go around, we're going to pray now before we eat. And everybody is going to thank God for something. And again, you have these like, but we did it. And there is something different. You have just invited God to dwell with your family. Or, maybe that would be too much of a step, but you could say to a group that's not really into the prayer thing, could I say a prayer before we eat? I mean, it's rare for people to be like, no. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, Thanksgiving. It's a tradition. Okay. And then just thank God for them. And watch the softness enter. Yeah. It's a chance to take a risk. You know, taking risks. I think I'm convinced. Blah, 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 blah. Finish one thought. Let me start with my first thought. This is it. There's a lot of research done because there's lots of people who no longer go to church that one time did. And some are jaded and some have been hurt by the church and all of that. But the number one reason they found in the U.S. that people stop going to church is they just stop going to church. They're not mad at God. They're not mad at the church. Sports. Some, I mean, they just, they just stop going to church. Just gradually stop going to church. I think we're bored. I think we're bored because we don't expect God to do anything. We don't feel like we're in it together to like ask God to do something and take some risks and then share with each other like this is what happened I've been praying for this person and then this happened I mean it's not boring it is not boring so someone again this week says to me tells us me this story they knew of a situation they knew it was challenging all of a sudden they got like I should go talk to that person basically ask them if they want me to pray for them and da, da, da. So quick did it so they wouldn't chicken out. Next, next day. And the person, as they say this to him, the person starts bawling and says, this morning, I was asking, like in this situation, like basically asking, like how could I get God involved in this situation? I don't know that this person's a churchgoer right now. But one of our leaders went and said, and so what is the result? This person invites them to basically be able to be with other people. And I, I, I don't have permission to tell the story. It's amazing. It is amazing. God is real. And when we get a little something from God and then we step out, sometimes it's like, ah, nothing happened. And then sometimes it's like angels show up. Lion's mouths are shut. God is real and people know it. Who wants in on that? I want in on it. Been in on it. Other people are in on it. It's so fun. I gotta hustle on so we can get done. Let me 
say this, so I'm not going to read anymore. I'm going to read something first and back there. I'm going to read the Luke passage at the end. Dan- Here's the story, right? Daniel is there, and it says, he says, God sent an angel, and that angel shut the mouths of the lions. And these weren't defective lions because the people who plotted all this got thrown in there and were devoured before they even touched the ground. But the angel shut the mouth of the lions, all of them. You know, the smiley lions. They were not smiley lions. Boom. Daniel was willing to risk his life for God because he trusted him. And angels show up and God shows up. Now Jesus, in the time of his crisis, he goes to the Mount of Olives. As usual, it says in one of the Gospels. The place where he would pray. And he prayed, and says, as he was praying, I gave you the wrong, well, bring that one up, but then we're going to go to the Matthew one. Jesus went, used the Mount Olives, and his disciples followed him. Go ahead and keep advancing for me ahead. I'm just going to read the whole thing. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to Jesus and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So, what I didn't get to in Mark is that during the temptation, it says Jesus was with wild beasts, and angels came and attended to him. Wild beasts, like lions. It says the devil's attempting him, testing him. There's wild beasts, there's lions, there's all this... The devil in 1 Peter is said to be like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. He's imitating the lion of Judah who will defeat all his enemies. That's Jesus. He is a roaring lion. And now he is a more vicious roaring lion seeking who he can devour. And now Jesus is about to be betrayed by someone who has been, uh, the devil has come into Judas, it says in one of the Gospels. And he's in there, and Jesus is praying, and an angel attends to him. Now, the Matthew passage. This is my last one. I don't know what verse. 26. Okay. He says, what verse are we starting with? Okay. While he was still speaking, Judas, the one with the devil in him, the roaring lion, one of the twelve arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of the Jesus' companions reached with his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? One angel shut all the lion's mouths, In fact, there's a time when Jerusalem is surrounded by an army and one angel takes out 275,000 people. One angel. And Jesus says, don't you know that I could call 12 legions, that's 60,000 angels, and they would come like this. 
but I'm not going to do it. Because I love people. And I'm going to give my life for people. Daniel risked his life. And an angel came and saved it. Jesus says, I could have all the angels in heaven come and defend me like that. But I'm not doing it. I am giving my life because I love people. And I want them to have a relationship with the living God. And so this morning we say, Jesus loves you. And he just says, come. Come for the hundredth time. Come for the first time. But he loves people. And that's why we pray. He loves people. Jesus, would you show us right now who you love in our lives? Who you're looking for in our lives that we know. Show us. Give us your heart for people. Thank you that you, on the night that you were betrayed, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And you said, take, eat, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, you took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So in a moment, I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. There are going to be four stations, two on each side. There's gluten-free options at every station. Just have to let them know you need that. We're going to let the worship team come through first, and then you can follow. Uh, if you want Jesus in your life, you're welcome to come. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it's the Lord who invites you. And it's his will that those who want him would meet him here. Elders, you may come forward now.